Uh, good morning. It's, it's really good to be back here in this building. Um, you know, I go through these seasons where I have to travel a little bit, and the older I get, and I know I'm not old, Jim, uh, you tell me that all the time, um, the less I like to travel, and there's two reasons, right? Every time I come back to Atlanta, I get assaulted by pollen for like the next four days, I can't breathe, and then I, um, then I miss you guys. Like, there's no place in the world I'd rather be than right here and with my family. Uh, so I think about my, my family, my kids, my wife, and then I think about my church family, and um, there's nothing sweeter than being here. Obviously, obviously, Clayton did an amazing job last week. He is a gifted communicator. He, oh, um, he's just incredible, and we're really grateful for him being on our staff. So he walked through 2 Timothy chapter 2 for a couple verses and we're going to pick back up in that. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 22. So if you have a Bible, grab that. It'll be on the screens if you don't. If you want one on the ends of the rows, they're there. Um, we are a church about the Bible, so we are always going to open that. If you don't own a Bible, like take that Bible and take it with you. Uh, over the last several weeks, we uh, maybe months now, we've been going through slowly this book of 2 Timothy. And, and we're doing that because, one, we go through books of the Bible. But two, I just absolutely love this book. This book is unique in all the books of the Bible because it's the last recorded letter that we have from Paul, and he's talking to his protege, Timothy, and I, I love Paul. I love Paul because, um, well, Paul loved Jesus, and, and I can follow a man that loved Jesus, right? And you, you, you almost get the diary of a dying man that loved Jesus with all of his heart, and he wanted to pour that out to his friend, and that's the entire point of the book. It's the best leadership book on the planet. It's Paul telling the next generation how to carry out the faith from here on out. Like, if you want to know how to model your life in this world, study this book and set your life on this path because it leads to a direction towards Jesus. So that's kind of the big idea today. If you write things down, here's the big idea. God's plan for the world isn't something, it's someone. Think about that. This is so important because all of us are on different trajectories, all of us have different paths, and yet at the end of it, God's path for you is not somewhere, it's somebody, it's who you are. It's being a certain type of person, that's the point. That's what Paul wanted Timothy to know. God is making you into a certain type of person, a kingdom person, the type of person that can actually develop this thing that changes the world. Viktor Frankl, he... Um, he wrote what I think might be a top five best book ever. If you've never read it, you, you need to. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. What, who, Viktor Frankl was a, a Jewish psychiatrist during World War II that wrote a book in his concentration camp at Auschwitz about the people that made it versus those that didn't. Now, what he's not talking about is those who were killed by the Nazis, but what he's talking about is those who, who mentally made it through. There was something that was different about them. Here's what he said. He, he, at one point in the book, he talks about how the Nazis could take away everything from him, but the one thing they could not take from him was his value and dignity, his meaning in life. He, he said that this mindset is what made him truly human, that, that he, could, he could change his mindset to an eternal perspective, and they could not break him. He said that was the difference between those who made it and those who don't. You see, your mind is so powerful. I, I, I figured this out last week. Um, if you've been around here for any length of time, you know that I've been training to run a marathon, and last week, I put that dream to fruition. 
and I flew up to Brooklyn, New York, and nobody told me that Brooklyn is the hilliest place on earth. Somebody needs to be shot for that. No, don't, that, that's not true. Don't, don't say, uh, erase that from your mind. Um, and I got to mile 16, and I've been training for a year, um, and my legs gave out. Like, gave out, where I had to stop for about 20 minutes because I couldn't move. And, and in that moment, I'm just telling you, um, I, we were going down a highway, and it was the only flat part of Brooklyn, apparently, and, and it was divided by cones where you could just turn around, and there was, there was a part of me that wanted to quit so badly. And, and, and you know, the thought that came through my mind was, how could I ever come home and tell my kids that I quit? So, so I pushed through and hobbled for the last seven miles, and I got home and sat all my kids down on the couch, and my, my son put on this medal that he wore all day long, uh, and I just told him, you know, no, it didn't go, did not go as I wanted it to go. However, we just don't quit. I, I, I said that there was, there were so many things that God, that I could have done, but you know what? I achieved the goal because I finished. I, I got home and I told my kids, you can achieve the impossible. Listen, I believe that. I believe that there's so many things that if you dig deeply into your mind, you can actually do far more than what you ever thought. You see, the backstory here is in 2007, uh, my, my football career ended with a back surgery, and the surgeon told me that I would never walk properly again, nor should I ever run again. And because, you know, I'm kind of that guy, a little not smart, I was like, run, let's go run a marathon, right? So I've been living in this reality for, for well over a decade of somebody telling me you can't do something, to the point in which I told my wife, I'm going to do the one thing that everybody says you can't do, and crossing that finish line and coming home on that airplane and telling my kids what I did felt like that moment that Viktor Frankl had talked about. Yes, I failed at what I set out to do, but I accomplished so much more because I pushed through and did the impossible. See, Frankl said that you can leverage your minds in such a way that people can take away everything from you, but they cannot take away your humanity. And the moment that you let them do that, they reduce you down to merely being an animal. That's why I hate the phrase, guys. I hate the phrase, and I hear it all the time. Well, I'm only human. You realize, yes, you're only human, which means that you are absolutely different than every other animal on the planet. You were designed and made in the image of God. It's because you're human that you should live out this reality that's so much different. Your abilities were chosen by God before you ever took your first breath, and God made you so much more, uh, with so much more dignity than any other animal on the planet. You are only human means that you are so much more than everything else on the planet. Maybe today. You come into this room or you're watching online and you feel defeated. Maybe you feel like I did at that race where you're on the crossroads, the intersection of victory and defeat. And you have to choose. You have to choose this day which direction are you going to go with your life. Am I going to give into the defeat of, of maybe the identity that people have called out for you your entire life? Or are you going to push through and determine, no, I'm going to be the person that God had called me to be? I want you to see Paul's words. I want you to see how powerful your personal responsibility is to choose to live a different way and what God can do through you as you do that. Listen, I hope, I hope, I hope that you get that God has given you everything that you need in this life and he's given you a mind to use. He gave you a will and he gave you the power to accomplish the things that he has set in you by his spirit. That's where we're going today. So if you look at it, 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 22. 
Paul tells Timothy, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Let's break this down again. Like we say, we're Bible people. So what does it mean? Underline that or notice that word, so. It's a transition word, isn't it? It's a therefore word. It's, hey, because of all this stuff, now do this. Paul is telling you exactly how to be used by God. Now, before we talk even about that, think about that phrase for just a second. Listen, God wants to use you. Think about that. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel so unworthy, and sometimes I assume that God only uses like the varsity level Christians, and, and the, the, it's, only, it's only the guy on the stage, or it's only the person who went to seminary, the gifted speaker that God wants to use, and that's just not true. That's not how it works. God doesn't use the gifted. He uses those who are available to him. Y'all, think about this. It's not the most talented people in the world. Have you ever surveyed the Bible and looked at who God used? Think about Moses. Man, Moses had a stuttering problem. He begged God over and over and over again to use somebody else. David? David was the youngest and the weakest son. And if you don't know anything about David, his worst sins in the world are published in the Bible. And they're way worse than anything I think you'll ever do. Y'all, think about the disciples. For the most part, they were uneducated, poor nobodies who ended up dying uneducated, poor nobodies. The first people to find Jesus after he rose from the dead were women in a time and place where women were devalued to the point where their, their testimonies weren't even counted as worthy in court. Jesus said that you and I should be like children. I don't know if you know anything about kids. I got a few of them. They actually offer nothing to society. Right? They don't pay my bills. They take all my money. They take all my time. They take all of my energy. Ask me what I did yesterday. I spent all day long coaching a lacrosse team that I got sucked into coaching when I was out of the country on a trip. And that's a true story. And God said, we need to be more like them. Because you know what they have? They have pure joy. I'm serious, guys. I'm about to have my fourth kid. And, they, they, and, and I don't mean this, like, hyperbolically. They don't offer you anything. And yet, I love my kids so much because what they offer you is purity. Like, my kids, I can yell at them, and they will come and hug me and kiss me like nothing ever happened. Jesus said that's the kind of people we need to be. The point is, God's not looking for talent. He's looking for humility. He's looking for availability. So that's so, it connects back to the last verse in verse 21 that Clayton talked about. Remember this one? Therefore, if anybody cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You see it? How do you cleanse yourself to be a person that God can use? Humility. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. The way that you make yourself available to God is to humble yourself to make God available to you. I love the way Charles Spurgeon said it. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, but let a man once become really holy, even though he has but the slenderest possible ability, and he will be a fitter instrument in God's hand than a man of gigantic accomplishments who is not obedient to the divine will or clean and pure in the sight of the Lord God Almighty. He's saying that the way that you cleanse yourself is by walking with Jesus. It's humbling yourself, humility. That's the key. Now watch it. Watch it. Verse 22. So flee 
There it is. So flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There are two things. Watch. We have to run from things and run to things. It's not enough just to run from things. We've got to run from things and run to things. Here's what's important about both of those. They're not passive. They're not passive. Y'all, the most damaging thing in the Christian life is passivity. Think about it. Think about it. For most people, we just don't do anything. There's no movement at all. And I'm just telling you, I know this is a side note, but the worst thing in the world is passive men. Passive men who don't lead their families well. Who give themselves to work more than they give themselves to their children and their kids and their wives. And they just walk around and they don't do anything. They don't care that they don't go to church. They don't lead well. We, we, we are in a place to where passivity seems to be ruling the day. See, we aren't fleeing from anything because we're not, we, we want to fit into the crowd more than we want to be the people that God has called us to be often. And we aren't pursuing righteousness at all because righteousness just isn't easy. I'm just being honest with you. It's not easy to do the right thing. Doing the right thing tends to be the most costly thing. When, when you have integrity and, and you don't cut corners, it tends to be costly. But when you choose to do the wrong thing, you might gain in the short term, but I'm, listen, you will lose in the long term. It's going to cost you something far greater. It's going to cost you your humanity. Like Viktor Frankl said, that's what it costs you. It costs you your humanity. You forfeit the right because you lose your integrity. So Paul says we have to flee from youthful passions. Literally, listen to what he's saying. It's time to grow up, right? Timothy, if you want to live the Christian life, it's time to grow up because there are certain things that are acceptable for kids to do and there are certain things that are not acceptable, acceptable for adults to do. Could you imagine, guys, if you walked into the bathroom and you saw a grown man with his pants down to his ankles and he's peeing in the urinal? Like, you think that, my kid does that and I think it's cute. Clayton does it, he's a sex offender. Right? The, we went on a family vacation um, to the beach and uh, Elliot, my son, was like, Daddy, I gotta pee, I gotta pee. I'm like, bro. Pee in the ocean. The world's your toilet. What are you doing? So my little man, he walks up to the shoreline of the ocean, drops his pants to his ankles, and the golden arch starts floating. And I sat there for a second. I'm like, not what I meant, but I get it. I see what you did there. Now again, could you imagine if daddy was like, no. There are certain things that kids can do, right? But if an adult does it, it's not like, buddy, that was cool. It's like, you're going to jail, <laughs> right? Listen, the point is that the Christian life is one about growing up. It's about acting like an adult when it's the time to act like an adult. Did you know that word flee there? It's the, the same Greek word that we get the word fugitive from. It's fugo. It, 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 here's, what, here's what Paul's saying. Run from youthful passions like you're running from the FBI, that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying it's time for you to run as hard as you can away from this stuff that you did when you were a child. It's time to grow up. Let's take a second. Let's talk about a few of the childish things that I think kill the church. I mean, they're not, they're not that hard to recognize. The first one is gossip. Gossip might be the most destructive force on the planet. Like James says, your tongue is small, and yet it has the power 
to set the world ablaze. Your tongue, the things you say, can either tear people down or it can take their lives and build them up. Listen, I think gossip might be the worst thing imaginable because it does nothing but make you feel good about yourself. And, and can I just tell you, here's the worst. We tend to pray or gossip. Oh, Sean, we got to pray for Sean. Sean left his wife last week. Oh, did you hear about that? Now he had these affairs. We need to pray. No, you're just gossiping, right? That's what we tend to do. Listen, it's time for us to grow up, grow up from gossiping, which leads to, and I think the root of gossip is number two, pride. Here, here's what I love. If you've never read Mere Christianity, it'd be worth the price of admission just for this one statement. C.S. Lewis says, pride is not thinking better of yourself. It's you comparing yourselves to others to tear them down to make you feel better about yourself. You see what he's saying? He's like, pride's not saying I need to think good about myself. I just need to think I'm better than Neil. So what I do is I start saying, my life's not his, as bad as his. Have you seen him? My goodness. Like, I look better than he does. My job, I make more money than he does. That's pride. And the deeper root of pride is insecurity. See, when you don't fully accept that God made you exactly the way that you are on purpose, then you become insecure, and then you have to push other people down. One of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible is Ephesians 2.10. We've gone over this before. Look at it. For we are his worksmanship. That word worksmanship is the word poema, where we get the word poetry from. You are God's masterpiece. That means that he constructed you intentionally and on purpose, exactly the way that you are. You are God's poema created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Guys, God didn't mess up on you. It's not like there was a recall button. I know contrary to popular belief, some of you probably think he messed up on your spouse. He's not, he's not sitting up in heaven being like, yeah, that one you got wrong. No. You're perfect just the way you are. The only problem with you is you don't believe that. So you're always trying to be somebody else. You need to know that everything you have was given to you by the Creator so that you could live out those gifts for good works. Listen, it's those same gifts that build the kingdom of God. You realize if we were all the same, none of us would be necessary. We all have our part to play. Like we need people who understand engineering and math. We need them around here because I don't, right? If we didn't have Jim, we wouldn't have money, okay? Because I don't understand a budget. And I'm just like, just spend the money, it'll come in. And Jim's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> right? I mean, we need artists and teachers. We need athletes and speakers. We need plumbers. We need labor workers. You realize that since sin entered the world, there are only two things on the planet that we don't need. Cats <laughs> and politicians. That's it. Every other vocation we need. It's time to grow up and own who God made us to be. Number three, passivity. Parents, passivity in developing your kids because you want to be liked by them is going to destroy them. Listen, God didn't call you to be their friends. He called you to be their parents. And I promise you, if you try to be their friends, they will grow up and not like you very much because you failed at doing your job. Some of you dudes, 
But I'm like, do you love your wife? Of course I do. I said, to, said I do to her 14 years ago. Take her on a date. Stop being passive. Love her. Kiss your kids. Can I tell you the first man that ever hugged me was my wife's dad? You know what that did to me? I'm serious. My dad never hugged me, never told me he loved me. And this isn't a pity party on me, but I can promise you, you know what my kids hear every single day, 14,000 times a day? I love you, and I'm proud of you. And I hug them, and I kiss them. And I, I was reading this book uh, called 4,000 Weeks, and he was talking about babies. And um, he said, baby-wise, like when they're getting ready, they tell you, you know, sleep train your kids and do all this and do all that. And he said, the problem is, is they're, they're teaching you to train your kids for a future, and you miss out on the present. And then he says, hey, watch this. Uh, if you're a new parent, close your ears. He says, actually, all the baby wise stuff is scientifically proven not to work. And he says, the problem is, listen, he says, the problem is, is holding your kid at night is actually quite enjoyable. And one day you're not going to be able to do it again. So stop worrying about, like, trying to get a future that's not even guaranteed to you, right? And just enjoy the moment that you have. Stop being passive. I'm just telling you, if you are passive with your kids, somebody else will step in and do it for you. And you're not going to like that very much. We've got to grow up. We've got to grow up. Men, if your, if your boss gave you the same performance review at home as you got at work, you'd have been fired a long time ago, I bet. What if we gave that kind of attention to detail to our kids? One day I'm going to stand before God. And you know what I don't want to hear? I don't want to hear, man, you did a great thing in this world. You traveled the world. You told people about Jesus. Lots of people came to faith, and your whole family is sitting in hell because they hated you and Jesus. Now, I don't want to hear that God told me that I did good on every other responsibility except the one that mattered the most. Let me talk about the, the thing that Christians tend to be the most passive about, though. It's this big word, discipleship. We tend to be the most passive about discipleship. Y'all, God has given us everything we need in this life. He's revealed himself to us through his word. He's given us freedom to openly worship him. Like in most of the world, we can't do this. And yet the only way that we go to church, I'm just, I know I'm beating on this a little bit, but the only way we go to church is if it's mildly overcast with a good chance of rain and there's nothing else I can do that day. Every single person in this room and listening online has had the cognitive ability to understand God's word and he gave it to us. And yet, we tend to be passive about him. I mean, my goodness, we have Google. The Googles can tell you everything that you need to know about the, like, every commentary in the world is at your fingertips. But statistically speaking, most people in this room will never read the whole Bible. People have given our lives for it, and they say that we are the most biblically illiterate generation of all time. Don't be passive about God. All right, the Christian life... It's not just about running from youthful passions. It's also about running to some stuff. You see it? It says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There are five things, five things that Paul says. Paul says that we need to run towards righteousness, faith, love, peace, and other people who want to do the same thing. Here's what I love about those first four virtues. They flow from God. They're fruits of the Spirit, aren't they? They, they, they're, 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 here, here's what that means. If you're a Christ follower, the fruit of the Spirit are already in you. 
They just have to be tapped into. You remember, if you've been around here for the whole series, you remember what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy 1? Fan into flame the gifts that God has given you. It's almost like these things right here are embers that are waiting to explode inside of you. And as they explode inside of you, as you exercise those gifts, the world changes. I can't think of anything that's more amazing to the world than a group of Christ followers who are walking in righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And they do it together. That stuff changes the world. It's like righteousness, faith, love, and peace are already in you, waiting on you to tap into them so that God can use you to build this whole thing called his kingdom in the world. If you're sitting around waiting on God to move in your life, you don't get how it works. God moves as we move, right? He works as we pursue him. In, in one phrase, the Christian life is active. It's active. So we do stuff. Like, number one, we pursue righteousness. Righteousness means right living. It means taking God's word seriously. It, it, it's amazing. It's amazing how when we do what God's word says, how we actually are happier. You know, the Wall Street Journal just came out with this revolutionary article. All right, they said science is finally proven that those who get married and stay married tend to be happier. I'm like, thank you, science. You could have just read this book 2,000 years ago where they told you the same thing. The reality, though, is it's true. When you live out holiness, it doesn't make you angry. It makes you happy. I'm just telling you. I've tried it both ways. And, you know, wisdom's not learning from your own mistakes. Wisdom's looking like an idiot like me and saying, I don't want to live that life. Right? It's learning from other people's mistakes. I've tried it. I was the worst of the worst. You know, the, the thing that you can know about me is that I'm not standing up on stage as a guy who grew up and my dad was a pastor and his grandpa was a pastor and I had perfect life. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I hope that my kids have the most boring testimony ever. I hope that they never experience what I experienced, but that just wasn't my reality. I grew up in a broken home, didn't come to faith until later. I partied like a rock star. I did it all, and all it did was leave me depressed. And I, and I accomplished everything that everybody wants to accomplish. As a Division I football player, everybody's like, oh, that's awesome. Right? I had everything you'd think. And you know what it did? It left me empty. I didn't want any of that. I love my life a whole lot more with no fame or glory or anything now because I'm pursuing righteousness. And it's in righteousness that God gives you joy, something deeper. Number two, we pursue faith. Listen, faith means that you don't just believe in God, but you believe God. You get that? There's a difference. You believe God. It's one thing to believe in God, but it's another thing to believe God. Do you believe God? Do you believe that God has your best interest in mind? Do you trust that he knows what he's doing with your life, and you just simply open your hands and say, God, I'm yours? See, for a lot of us, a lot of us, God has a view into our lives. For some of us, God has a voice into our lives. But for not many of us, God doesn't have a vote. And I'm just telling you, if God is going to be your savior, he's got to be your Lord too. Pursuing faith means that he is the vote. Like he's actually our Lord. He rules our life. He doesn't just rule the universe. He rules our entire lives. We have to pursue love, number three. Now love can take all kinds of forms. Let me just tell you, love's really hard because, can I say this? Because people can suck. People can be really hard and people can be really mean. I get it. I mean, there are just some times where there's people that I'd rather punch in the face than love. 
right? I don't want to stand up here and be fake. Let be real with you. It's hard to love people, especially people that don't treat you very well. But what if we spent all of our time trying to love each other instead of avoid each other? And it, you know what I don't mean, right? I don't mean that love is full acceptance of everything. That's not love. As a matter of fact, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I don't love the stuff that kills people. I don't love the meth that destroyed my mom and my sister. And I don't even care that they liked it. I hate it. And you should too. Love is hating the stuff that hurts the people around you and fighting to create the equality and justice to have them live out the righteousness that God has for them. Now, but watch this, but do it with empathy and gentleness. Like, I think it's okay to disagree about stuff. It's just not okay to be a jerk about it. The great theologian, Dave Chappelle, said it like this. And I still have a hard time believing he actually said this. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if we disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means that you agree with everything that they believe. Say or do. But that's nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Listen, we need to pursue love, which means that we need to pursue people. And that means that we need to be vulnerable. Because the reason why many of us don't love is because love can hurt you. C.S. Lewis, maybe my favorite quote of all time by him, and that's saying a lot. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Yes, love is risky, but it's worth it. Like Philip Yancey said, the three most powerful statements in the, in the English language are, I love you, I forgive you, what's for dinner? Right? A lot of truth in that, isn't there? Number four, we need to pursue peace. I think there's something about life that's filled with contentment that brings joy and peace. I don't know about you, but the people I like the most are the people that are most content. See, one of the best ways to be happy in this life is to find peace with where you are in life. It creates harmony and unity. When you're always looking for the next thing, you're never going to have peace where you are. People ask me all the time how long I think we'll be at City Church, and I'm like, until you fire me or I die. I don't know. I have no plan. My plan is to pastor this church for the rest of my life. We moved here in 2018 to start the church. I want to finish it. Why? Because, yes, God might move us. I get that. But the reality is I just want to be content right here, right now, and enjoy this moment. This is a sweet place to be. Like, I love you guys. Walking together, you have changed my life. And I'm just thankful I get to change yours. This is the peace. This is the thing that Frankel was talking about. The Nazis could take his life, but the one thing they couldn't take was his eternal security. He understood that God ultimately brings him peace. There's something to knowing that there's a bigger picture in life that allows you to experience joy in the moment. So Paul says, pursue these things. Now watch this. He says, pursue them together. This is why we want to connect you to community. Because the church isn't just about a sermon or music. Watch. The church is, now I'm going to say this, and you're going to be like, what did you just say? The church is about the building. 
You're like, hang on, I thought we always say churches aren't about buildings. Of course it is. Because it's about the people gathered together inside of the building. Who cares about where we gather? It's the fact that we gather. I know this is like, like faux pas, but online church isn't church. There's something about gathering together that's important. It's essential. Do you realize the entire Bible is written in a plural language? Even Paul calls the church the body of Christ, which means that when you're missing, it's like you've amputated my arm. We need each other. I need you. I need you because when I walk in and I sing with you, I experience joy with you, I see a fuller picture of God together. And you encourage me. See, the Christian life's not meant to be lived in isolation. There are over 100 one another's in Scripture. Do this with one another. Love one another. Do this with one another. A hundred times, over a hundred times in the New Testament. It's the language of the Bible. So Paul says that stuff like the church, the body of Christ, is necessary for all of us to pursue these things together. We need to stir each other along. We need to encourage each other. We need to motivate each other. Because here's the deal. You will become the sum total of the people you spend the most time with. If you spend the most time with people who are pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, I promise you that you will become more like those things. Did you know that research even shows that if your friend gains weight, you will too? The people, that you, the people you spend the most time with are the people you become like. Listen, you show me your five closest friends, I'll show you the next five years of your life. Again, let me just encourage you. That's why I love you. Because the people that I hang out with in this room make me better. Like, I get to hang out with these two guys over here every week. Um, we do something together. And every week, I walk away feeling more like Jesus because I watch the way that they love their wives and their family. And they encourage me. And I hope that they feel the same way about me. See, all this matters to God because God cares about the certain type of person you're becoming. All of it. God cares way more about doing something in you than he does through you. And a matter of fact, he probably will never do anything through you until he does something in you. J.I. Packer used to famously say that God can't use a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply or until he's changed him deeply. Now check out verse 23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they only breed quarrels, and the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent with gentleness. You notice the type of person that God is after? God's after the servant, kinded, loving type of person. You know what's funny? Interesting maybe? That word servant is the Greek word doulos. You know what it means? It means slave. You know why that's so important? Contrary to popular belief, we're all slaves to something. There is no such thing as pure freedom. And that's just not how it works. Everyone is constrained by something. You're constrained by time. We become slaves to cultures and in so many ways, and we don't even realize it. Like, you, you realize that there are billions of dollars spent every year trying to shape you into a certain type of person or to buy a certain type of thing or to watch a certain type of thing? If you don't believe me, go on Netflix, if that's not simple for you, and go watch Social Dilemma. Now, every single one of us has this little tiny thing inside of our pockets called a phone. If you're godly, it's an iPhone. If you're not, it's one of those other things. And it controls your life. Every Sunday, on my iPad as I'm preaching, I get a reminder of how awful I am with my screen time. Like, thank you, Satan, right there again. I know, I was up 43% this week. 
right? I get it. Every one of us are being controlled by culture. Here's the point. We can either be a slave to Christ or a slave to culture. You have to choose. You have to choose. And if you want to be a slave to Christ, there is a certain type of way that we act. Again, here they are. You ready for them? Number one, don't get involved with foolish controversies. Do you realize that what comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart? In other words, your ability not to respond to certain situations will set your life on a path that it's on. It reveals, it reveals that if you are going to trust the direction of your life to Jesus or if you have to defend yourself, here's my question for you. Why do you always feel like you have to respond? Why do you always feel like you have to justify yourself? Listen, the Lord's servants don't get involved in that stuff. If you remember, the context in 2 Timothy is there's a bunch of false teachers that are walking into the church. They're teaching a bunch of foolishness. That doesn't make any sense. They teach different doctrine. And I just imagine that Timothy just wanted to shut these dudes up. Right? And, he, and think about it. Imagine being the pastor of this church. You've worked your entire life to plant this church, and, and you, your friend is dying for this church, and you get these dudes that are coming in here, and they're convincing people to leave the church. Right? Everything in you would say, you need to shut those guys up. You know what Paul says? Don't get involved in that. Let it go. God will fight your battles. You, you just chill. You chill, Timothy. Do you realize it's a quiet constraint that tends to shape people's lives. When I was uh, flying back from New York this week, uh, I, I watched the movie 42 again. It had been a long time since I'd seen it. The, the story of Jackie Robinson. There's a, there's a point in the movie when um, the, the manager or the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers calls Jackie into his office uh, to tell him that he's going to become a part of the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he starts berating him, like using uh, racial slurs and all this stuff, and you see Jackie just start getting mad. And then he stops him, and Jackie says, what do you want me to do? Like, you want me to fight you? He says, no. I want you to be strong enough not to fight when those moments come. He goes, that's what's going to change the world. It's your ability to not fight. Like Martin Luther King Jr. said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. See how powerful it is? It's true, too. When you care deeply about people and you don't have to justify yourselves, you can change the world. That's why 42 is the only number in all of baseball that's retired, because he had the courage to not fight back. Listen, when you feel like you have to fight your own battles all the time, you're just confessing that you don't trust Jesus to fight for you. See, God's servants don't get involved in that stuff. Number two, they're kind to everybody. Did you know that Jesus is the only person in antiquity that ever made the statement to love your enemies? Only one. That was the most revolutionary statement he ever made. Because everybody else said, hey, love people that love you. Again, just point blank. It's easy to love people that love you. It's really hard to love people and be kind to those that don't. Here's my question. Do you deserve God's kindness? No. And yet he gave it to you anyway. You realize it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. It's when we're kind to people, when we're gentle with people that don't deserve it, that's when the world changes. Number three, you need to be able to teach. I don't want to take too much time on this, but Paul is not saying you need to be able to teach like Tim Keller. What Paul is saying is that every single Christ follower needs to be able to teach. See, some of you won't teach at all because you think that you have to teach well. That's not the point. And you, you don't need a big crowd to teach. That's not the point. 
You just need to be able to teach, and you can only teach what you know. See, God's servants are serious about God's word. And you are God's servant, not just me. He's not saying, Billy, you need to be able to teach. He's saying all of us do. Your audience, your greatest audience sits around your dinner table. Are we abdicating the responsibility to teach those? That's what he means. We need to learn the word. We need to be able to teach. Number four, we need to patiently endure evil. Y'all, I'm convinced that you'll never really know if you love Jesus until he's all you have. See, I think some of us, we love the idea of Jesus because everything in our lives in the cultural south just seems to work. We live in the area with the highest per capita income. We have everything you'd ever want. Things seem to be great. And that Jesus is pretty cool. But what happens when everything goes away, when the cancer diagnosis comes, whenever you lose your job, that's the moments when you realize, do I actually love Jesus or do I love the things that he gives me? On the other hand, there's nothing more powerful than watching somebody patiently endure evil, watch somebody get attacked over and over and over again. There's nothing more powerful than watching somebody walk through the toughest times of their lives and still point to Jesus. One of my good friends, the guy who officiated my wedding, was just diagnosed with cancer for the second time, and it's a mouth cancer where um, it was awful. Like, the chemo was awful, they had to remove half of his tongue, and he's texting with me right after his surgery in the ICU, and you know what he says to me? This is one of those moments where I just want to punch him. He said, hey man, can I uh, pay for you and your, your family to go on a little retreat? I'm like, no, you can't. Like, why are you caring for me right now? Like, you're sitting here half dead in the ICU room after a surgery of cancer, and you, all you care about is me? I'm just telling you, you know what did it? Lit my faith on fire. And he, he's like, all he does is love everybody else around him because he realizes that this life is not all that there is. That stuff is powerful. It's powerful. See, when you act like this, you paint a picture for the world to see Jesus. When Christ's servants act like Jesus, they put shape of God into the world. People see him through you. Listen, the best sermon you'll ever give is not the ones that come out of your mouth. It's the ones that are done with your life. You know how I know that? I'm going to put my, my staff and wife on blast for just a second. I asked them what the text was that I preached on Easter two weeks ago. We were 0 for 3, because I, I knew it. <laughs> I should know it. So we were 1 for 4. You'll never remember the things that I say in here. I get that. That's okay. But you'll remember my life. I had a friend that said this this week. He said, every pastor should make their church pay for their counseling. He says, self-care is the cheapest thing you can do, because the church can invest in your counseling, or they can invest in the thousands of people's lives that you jacked up because you didn't invest in your counseling. I praise God for that. Your life matters. The legacy you leave matters. My integrity to this church matters way more than me standing up here yelling at you for 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. And 40 minutes is a short sermon. <laughs> Number five, correcting his opponents with gentleness. See, kindness doesn't mean full acceptance of everything, does it? Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is tell somebody that they are wrong. Sometimes the most evil thing you can do is tell somebody that they are wrong. You know what the difference is? How you do it. Right? Some of you all need to underline that word gentleness. Star it. Put some asterisks next to it. Because the reality is, is truth without grace is just being a jerk. And grace without truth sends people to hell. It's both of those that matter. God's servants aren't afraid to tell the truth, but they do it with empathy and kindness. 
When God's servants don't get involved in foolish controversies, when they're kind to everyone, when they're faithfully teaching God's word with love and grace, and they endure evil, it's amazing what God can do through them. Listen, if you want a definition of success, that's it. When I die one day, and you kind of, hopefully we're not in this building anymore, we've outgrown it, but you do my funeral in here, I hope that that's what you say about me. I don't remember what that dude said, but here's what I know about him. He didn't get involved in all this stuff. He loved his family so well. He patiently and faithfully taught the word. And he endured a whole lot of mess. And God built his kingdom through him. Here's the point of it all. Next, next slide. God may perhaps grant them repentance. Those were the false teachers. Leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. After being captured by him to do his will. You see it? Do you want to know how to grow the church? I'm about to save the church a whole lot of money on consultants. You don't need strategies. You don't need a bunch of consultants. Here's what you need. God's plan to grow the church is not something. It's someone. It's a certain type of person. Or a certain type of people. It's these type of people. The Lord's servants who act like Jesus in the world. So let me just ask you, do you want to be a slave to Christ or a slave to the world? That's really the question. Like Viktor Frankl said, the world can take everything away from you, but it cannot take your resolve to be a certain kind of person, a kind person, a person that walks humbly with Jesus and loves the people well around them, the kind of person who does not veer from truth and yet is gentle and loving, the kind of person that builds God's kingdom. Listen, don't, un oh, don't ever underestimate what a kind, loving word can accomplish. You may not ever notice it in this life. But little by little by little, as you live with integrity, God will shape the people around you in ways that you may not ever realize. It's come to me often in an email 10 years later where somebody wrote me an email telling me how I changed their life. Listen, I didn't do anything. I just lived a certain way and loved Jesus, but they watched. I promise you, you're doing the same thing. And God is shaping the people around you. I mean, Satan thought that he won when he killed Jesus. Didn't he? But Jesus, through his humble, sacrificial kindness, brought down a kingdom that was upside down from what the world ever told him. He didn't pursue power. He pursued humility, love, and grace. And for 2,000 years and still going, God's kingdom went from 11 cowards to billions of people worshiping him all over the world because these men were transformed by the gospel and they were a certain kind of person. City Church, that's our plan. That's all I got. My plan for this church is not to have some massive, great, grandeur vision. My plan is to pour my life out into you and that you go pour your life out to other people and we do it together. And God builds his kingdom.